Today, let's talk about blockchain. Is there really a place for it in oil and gas? Turns out, could save you a bundle in LOEs. An industry under pressure. Innovation in its finest hour. This is the Oil & Gas Technology Podcast, where sharp minds reveal the brilliance and sheer determination turning great ideas into new realities. Hear about how it happens in real life with your host, Michael O'Sullivan. The views of the host are expressly his own and should not be construed as the views of Nutanix or any other corporation, consortium, governing body, or interplanetary federation. All right, hey everybody, welcome to another episode. Before we get to our guest, I want to remind everybody, please leave us some reviews, leave us a lot of reviews, leave as many reviews as you like. It's the only way that we know whether we are doing a good job or whether you just can't stand it. And if you can't stand it and you want to leave a one-star review, make sure to tell us what you think we should be doing differently and then we'll get better. I'm sitting here in the Data Gumbo office, which happens to be located at the Canon in Houston which is where, coincidentally, we also record a lot of other episodes. But today, instead of being out with the commoners in the common area, I'm actually here in a very nice office. And my guest is Andrew Bruce, who is the founder and CEO of Data Gumbo. Welcome. Thanks for being here, or thanks for having me here. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for coming here. Today, we're going to talk about blockchain and how it actually is showing up in the oil and gas industry, doing some great stuff. But before we do that, a little bit about you, about Data Gumbo. Let's start with the name because, you know, not everybody gets to put Gumbo in the name of their company. So where did the name come from? You asked for the- Is there a story, like a late night story? There There has to be one, Yes, there were chips and salsa and beer involved. (laughs) So if you're trying to start a new company with a a new company name and a new company domain and um, trying to find, register a new company with uh, the state of Texas and, or, or Delaware, it's not easy to find a unique name. So we started out as an IoT platform. So we were dealing with data and we were talking about you know, Petro data, cloud data, cloud well, Petro this, you know, right. all, all of the above. And they were all taken and or they sounded stupid or they locked <laughs> us too much into a specific space we didn't want to be in. And so somebody just threw out this stupid name called Data Gumbo that we all started laughing about and said, well, actually, that kind of That's works. That's pretty good, yeah. So, yeah. yeah and we, that, and the domain was open. We looked, we looked it up yeah. and the domain was open. That was, uh, that was half the battle on yeah. itself. So that's where it came from. Excellent. I was working with a colleague one time to try to name, not a company, but just a kind of a product offering. And he said, we should call it, he said, we should call it Petro X. Petro X. And I said, well, I thought about it for a second. I said, that spells pet rocks. So maybe we shouldn't do that one. I was, I was with a venture capitalist one time. This is a long time ago. And we were looking up you know, places to exhibit our product. And it was the Oil and Gas Expo. And so he was in a corporate setting. I won't tell you which company it was. And the, uh, the cybersecurity Nazis blocked him because it had said sex in the middle of that the oil and gas expo. <laughs> and so he was trying to do research to, to decide whether or not to invest in our company and he couldn't even look and at it. And he couldn't look, yeah, yeah that's, so, unfortunate. that's unfortunate. Yeah, for what you call your show. That's great. Okay, so just a little bit more about the company so people know who they're listening to. You've been around a few years. What's the basic mission? What are you up to? We're providing a smart contract platform to enable oil and gas companies to automate contractual execution between two two or more counterparties. 
So tying in IoT data to provide a level of certainty and a single source of truth to satisfy or trigger the terms of a smart contract. So if you've got a contract for delivering commodity X and with a price of Y, how do you know that the commodity was delivered and how much of the commodity was delivered? So rather than going to the supplier's system and the customer's system and then getting an invoice coming from one to the other, which means inevitably the two systems are going to disagree, we say, okay, we're just going to go straight to the source. We're going to get the data. We're going to use that to confirm the measurement of what was delivered. You're going to use the price book to figure out how much should be paid, and then you use that to automate the payment. Right, excellent. So it's really interesting because usually people talk about digital transformation in oil and gas right now. A lot of the buzz is around things that sound a little bit more exciting than contracts, right? It's, it's about operational, you know, two terabytes of data coming off a platform or all the things that are happening in refineries and production facilities. And, and we're dealing with pressure data and temperature data, and we're trying to do all this predictive analytics to optimize our well path or, and all that really like cool sciency and engineering stuff. And so to the casual listener, they might think hmm, like contract automation doesn't sound very exciting in terms of digital transformation. But I think we're going to get into a couple of things that says actually it's, it can have a tremendous impact on particularly on, on pulling expenses out, lease operating expenses are very much in the, in the spotlight right now. So it's happening, you know, a couple of years ago, blockchain, people kind of in this industry, people still scratching their head. I don't even know what that means. But now you see it. I mean, you've got a company built around it, but it is it is showing up in the industry, right? So where do you see it now, like showing up in meaningful ways? Well, let me address the, the blockchain problem first, right? There's a lot of people who say, oh, blockchain, because they tar it with the same brush as cryptocurrencies. They're two completely <laughs> separate things, right. right? We're not talking about cryptocurrencies. We're not talking about mining. We're not talking about any tokens or any rubbish like that. It's smart contracts and blockchain. So you don't need any of that other crypto stuff. So just make sure we get Fair that. Fair enough, yeah. Get I'm, that out of the way. I was a little confused. So now yeah. it's good to know that so, that's not, yeah. Yeah, and so then the rest of it, then, like you said, it's very boring. It's nuts and bolts. But at the end of the day, if you can automate contractual execution, like LOE, lease operating expenses, in North America, in, in 2020, the oil and gas sector will spend $48 billion on lease operating expenses. So if you can cut 10% of that, that becomes an interesting number. So I guess I'm using a phrase that some politician made famous recently, follow the money. I mean, it's you can talk about all the sexy buzzwords all day, all day long, but at the end of the day, it's about money. I mean, we've got to costs out of the industry. I mean, the price of oil crashed. And, you know, people are losing their jobs. So how on earth can we use a technology which is, it doesn't have to be sexy as long as it's effective. Right. And I mean, the fact that it's not sexy is actually good because it, it means it's not complicated. It's not, doesn't, this isn't a multi-year install. It's a, okay, I want to automate a contract. Okay, which contract do you want to automate? Where are you going to get the data from? And you can get from zero to value in 90 days. So Yeah, that, okay, so that's good. So you're... So we're going to get to that part. We're going to get to the how do you actually do this sort of thing. But you mentioned something up front, which is, you know, people have certain mentalities about this. So there are skeptics out there, right? And I'm sure that you run into people that are maybe skeptical about the reality of this, the value of it. Once you get in there and you start doing these projects, 
the value becomes clear. And I think this is interesting for people to know because sometimes there are people inside of a company who have like the vision and they get it and they say like, I'm with you. I get it. But like, I can't, I can't get other people around. I can't do it by myself and I can't get other people around me to get interested and to believe in it. So what do you find that sort of gets people's attention or persuades them to at least think about it and consider it? Well, there's two approaches. Uh, number one, we sell on value. I mean, if there's no value, we don't even, well, we shouldn't be involved. I mean, no company shouldn't work with us if there's no value to be derived from it. So we have a value calculator that we fill out. So there's publicly information. We, we have a, we can come with a hypothesis of what the, the value case should be. And failing that, we have what we call an, an ignition program. So if somebody says, okay, I'm in, I'm hearing what people are doing. I'm, I'm seeing the value that people are driving. I want some of this, right? But I don't know how to start. How do I, how do I get started? So we have an ignition program. So we'll sit down with a company and say, okay, let's look at, you know, the, the 15 likely use cases within your company, which one is the most likely, what's the value calculator look like? What's the project plan look like to get started? And you know, how do we put this together? So we go from having a vague idea to having something concrete and deliverable during this ignition program. And then the other thing that people are worried about is we don't have the staff or we don't have the expertise or we don't know enough about this. So the other thing we do is we provide all the resources from a personnel perspective to, so that you don't have to worry about, you know, do you have people to write the smart contracts or do you have the people who understand the domain? We'll provide those people for you. Good. So you have a methodology and you kind of have a, like it's not... It's a concierge service, that's what yeah, we call it. that's right, like the white glove. But I think it's important sometimes for people to know that like this has been done. We have a way of doing this, and it looks like this, and it goes, and this is what you can expect your next 30, 60, 90 days to look like, your next six months. To you, can, you can remove all the risk. I mean, we've done it. We've done it. We've, done it. we've been there. We've done that. We know how to get these things up and live yeah, at this yeah. point. So Okay, so these things. So we've established that the technology is real, it's relevant, and you actually can pull it off. So let's maybe one or two concrete examples that you know of where, I mean, you touched on this a little bit in the intro about the kinds of things that you can do, but, you know, we can leave the company names out, but where have you, where have you seen people actually get serious about this and get substantial value? Well, I'd like to kind of tie my answer into the phrase you brought up earlier on, lease, op lease operating expenses, right? right. So if we can reduce you know, 10% of lease operating expenses, that's interesting. But that sounds like an overwhelming problem to solve for a company. But what you can do is you can put together a roadmap of all of the component parts that make up your lease operating expenses. So it could be a haulage of water, it could be haulage of diesel, it could be measurement of utilizations of, of people's time, it could be rental equipment and rental equipment usage. So what we do is we map a chart through the LOEs for a company to find the lowest hanging fruit that we can get to. So you can get to 60% of the lease operating expenses very, very quickly. And to have given a concrete example of, of what you just asked right. is for the operators blockchain consortium as public, you know, we, we worked on the water haulage for them. So we automated the pickup and delivery of wastewater from the well pad to the saltwater disposal well. You measure the water that's picked up from the pad. You measure how much water is put in the truck. You measure how much water is put in the, in the disposal well. You do a three-way match between those two measure, those three measurements. The level of accuracy that they wanted was within 1.6%. So as long as the, the measurements are within 1.6%, then it's authorized for automated payment. 
You can put a pre-approved invoice into the ERP of the oil company, and you can. They were saying that they expect to realize twenty-five percent savings on just doing that. So if you can, and now we're doing the same thing for another company with diesel. So rather than saying I'm just going to pay whatever bill the diesel company says, I'm going to use a a heat adjusted sensor to measure how much diesel is actually delivered to me. And I'm going to make a payment based on that sentence, that, that's a sensor reading. Mm-hmm. So that you're using transactional certainty. And like I said, the field data to trigger the terms of the price book, which already exists between the two counterparties. So you can see that you start knocking off these, these pieces of low hanging fruit, which are actually quite easy to do. And with, by doing that, you get your lease operating expenses. And then that does something really interesting because now no longer am I looking at accruals at the end, in the middle of next month, what my expenses are likely to have been. I can say, I know today what all my expenses were. So I can get real-time LOE that falls out at the same time of realizing tens of millions of dollars on the each individual component part of the, of the commodities that are delivered. So that's good. I was going to... That's the next thing I was thinking about was if I am a manager who's responsible for some of these things, an executive, how do I, you know, I'm an asset manager. How do I know it's working? What does it look like? How can I, like, how do I, so, you know, a little bit of the, like the before and after, what does my world look like now? And what am I able to do to, to be able to report up or outward that uh, we've got all of these goodness happening? It's actually a really weird feeling. The best way I can describe it is like an autonomous car. Okay. So imagine you're driving an autonomous car and you're driving down the road. And at some point you have to take your hands off the wheel and you take your feet off the gas. Right. And the damn thing drives itself. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully it does, right? <laughs> yeah. So what, Ideally, we, yeah. what we do when we're implementing the system is we have what we call a trust check. So you've got the smart contract running. You've got the data coming in from the field. And for the consortium, the first round round we did, uh, 90% of the transactions were automated. And what we're aiming for now is 99% of the transactions. So there are no field tickets. There's no invoices. There's no running around chasing people, trying to get people to sign things. There's just transactions showing up in your ERP. And you, you've got a level of certainty around it because you've got measures in there for accuracy. So in, in the case of the consortium, it was, you know, they had to be within 1.6%. So you know that as long as the measurements are meeting with each other within 1.6% of accuracy, the transaction is correct and you don't have to touch it. And so it's like the autonomous car. You take your hands off the wheel and transactions start flowing and you don't have to do all this month-end reconciliation. You don't have to have people chasing around field tickets and invoices and it just starts flowing. Interesting. So I can imagine being the person who's saying, okay, this is going to work, right? Because if it doesn't, I'm in serious trouble. Well, that's the safety checks, right? So first of all, if it's not within the, the safety tolerance, it's not going to be approved. You've got safety measurements on the on the data coming in. Is it within the range that you expect it to be in? You've got safety measurements within the, the algorithms of, you know, are the results coming in with you know, within what we expect? So you and you just, have some sort of like dashboard where you, and you, have, can, and you have, well, like with leading indicators, right? You don't find out afterward that something has, or do you find out afterward? Well, exactly. I mean, so, I mean, if let's say data stops flowing, you're right. not, you're not making transactions based on data that's not flowing, or there's a lightning storm or a truck goes out of range or, or, or somebody runs over a meter or something like that. 
The difference between yesterday and today is that, guess what? Everybody knows about it immediately because you're getting paid off it or so you're paying off it. So yeah, rather sure. than being this, this esoteric you know, operational KPI system that's in the corner that nobody looks at, all of a sudden everybody looks at it and is very interested in exactly what's going on with that meeting because... But it's, it's management by exception. You're not having to manage everything. You're everything saying, all the way through. okay, there's something wrong with that one. Let's go and check that one out. But we, you know there's no transactions flowing because there's no data there. Right. The data is the trigger. And if the data is either wrong or missing, the transactions are not flowing. So you don't have to worry that you're going to pay somebody for something that didn't happen. Sure. So but what that means also is that when something does go wrong, because things could could happen, like you said. Life happens. Power outages. And so today, when something goes wrong, the people you know out there in, in these worlds, like they, they know who needs to scramble to go figure out what happened, right? There's probably some poor person who's just has the magical ability to be able to track the paper down to wherever it you know, fell off a desk or something like that, right? Today, when something, or, you know, with this type of automation, who solves the problems? Who troubleshoots the problems when they when they do occur? Because that's a whole paradigm shift, right? Right. So what we're what we're seeing is that you've got the supply chain guys, people who are typically the people who say, "Okay, what happened to this transaction here?" Mm-hmm. And so you've you've got the within our system anyway, we've got a dispute resolution system to handle a transaction that when was outside the one point six percent region in this specific example, the water haulage, and so. Then you've got you know, five different choices that you can make of how you want to resolve that dispute. Unlike yesterday, you don't have a, I'm going to resolve this dispute and you're just going to suck it up. It's both sides have to agree on the resolution. So that there's a resolution process that both, I mean, everything, everything that we do within the smart contract world is that it's a win-win. So, and, and it's what I actually really like about our business model is it's not a win-lose, it's a win-win because the customer is actually paying for what is actually delivered. And the service company is actually getting paid for service that is delivered and they're getting paid on time. So rather than this having this you know, big long delay of 90, 120 days to get paid with, with the associated interest, which eats your lunch, you're getting paid based right. on contractual terms or maybe even early. So there's definitely a motivation there to work through the change, the organizational change management. And that's why I'm kind of hammering on this. Well, what's it like for people? Because a lot of times things like this, the difficulty, you know, we always used to say like, you know, technology aren't, isn't the problem. It's, it's people, right? I thought I, I don't want to start talking about people being the problem, but, but the point is that people already know how to like, like we know that our system is kind of painful, but we know how to work it. We know how to operate this way. You're bringing in a whole different way of doing stuff and it sounds really good, but like, we don't like, we don't know how to operate. Like, how do we transition to becoming an organization that is comfortable in this, in this new model? So that's where the, I assume the concierge services becomes necessary. Right? That's exactly right. I mean, and, and you're exactly right. I mean, I would say that 70% of the expense, time, mostly time, is yeah. spent in change management. I mean, what, is, what is this going to mean to our company? And how do we do it? So we have, a, like I said, this white glove concierge program, which change management is part of that. So, okay, what this is your process before this was done, and we map it out. 
just as an example, to pay an invoice on one of our customers is 36 steps. I was talking to a, f- a friend of mine who used to work for... <laughs> it feels like a lot. <laughs> I was like, talking to a friend of mine who, used, who like a he works for a, a major, major oil and gas company. And he said that they, they've done an internal analysis and each field ticket is touched six times within their company before it is paid. And he said, what value does each touch add to that field ticket once you've touched it once? And the answer is none, zero. Right. It just costs you money yeah. every single time. So you draw out the, the process before and you draw out the process afterwards and say, okay, what are we going to do? What, what, how do we, Data Gumbo, help you do that? And then how do we reimagine the, the organization? And so <laughs> there are some drilling guys that we talk to and say, you know, I really like what you're saying because now I don't have to be an invoice engineer. I can be a drilling engineer again. I can get back to what I trained and went to school for. I'm not pushing paper and chasing paper right, around. Right, which, you know, that's the last thing those guys want is one more right. piece of paper to try to manage and fill out and get in the right place. And you got always got somebody calling you up, yelling at you because you didn't put the thing wherever it's supposed to go. Right. All right, so I think that covers the, I think we have a good, nice picture of the business value. Maybe for the more techie folks in the audience what is it about i mean we've all seen blockchain on the cover of magazines what is it about this innovation at this particular point in history that is enabling this sort of thing to be done right why didn't we do this a long time ago great question full about my answer well the first bet that we made as data gumbo i mean why we call data gumbo data exists we're drowning in data we've been investing in iot data for seems like decades. So most anything you need, you can get the data. It probably doesn't exist in the four walls of your own company, which is a key point. So to give you a a more concrete example of that, we automated the drilling contract between a major oil company, major services company for the delivery of drilling equipment, utilization, and people. And in order to be able to get the data to satisfy those contracts, we needed data from the Offshore vessel provider, the drilling contractor, the service company, the oil company, and the service company. So you needed data from five different systems and five different companies. All of which are already well-oiled machines, right? Absolutely. (laughs) Yes, yes. Which is exactly why we exist, right? Right, yeah. yeah. So the data exists. It just doesn't exist in the four walls of your own company, which is a key, key point. So number one, the reason it hasn't been done before is IoT data wasn't available. And if it was... It was my data, goddammit, and you couldn't have it. Right. And so one of the big questions I had starting Data Gumbo was, are we going to be able to get access to the data? Because it's, you know as well as I sure, do, that's... the oil field, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's my data, keep your hands off it. Right. So getting access to the data has turned out not to be a problem because people are incentivized to solve this contractual problem because there's so much money available to be able to solve the problem. And you're not asking for big data. You're not asking for all the data. You're asking for very specific data to solve a specific problem, a commercial problem. So I need to know how many people got off that helicopter. I'm asking who, who got off the helicopter. I may be asking, you know, what the job classification was, but I'm not, you know, it's... You're, sure, right. So get access to data is one thing. Blockchain. So blockchain technology is, you know, with Bitcoin has become, you know, pretty well known. Like I said, you leave off with the mining piece of it, but the blockchain technology is becoming mainstream. It's a very inefficient database, but it's a very good ledger. And so the idea of having a ledger that 
is immutable, meaning it can't be unilaterally changed by any counterparty, right. is, is the other piece of the secret source. So an immutable ledger and the data that you need to satisfy the terms. And then the invention of this term called smart contracts, put those three pieces together and now you've got the secret source that makes the whole thing possible. Right. So the data is interesting. And the fact that that was not a big hurdle for you, at least in terms of people's willingness, their ability to find data, I think is probably sometimes a different challenge. But that's a shift in the industry, right? And at the beginning of all this, you mentioned a consortium, which I think has a number of oil companies in it, right? So operators and the willingness, like there's definitely a shift in the willingness of companies to collaborate and cooperate and share information. On this show, Mark LaCour did an episode a few weeks back with all the guys that are working on the OSDU, the Open Subsurface Data Universe, unprecedented levels of cooperation among companies who are starting to say, okay, like a lot of this data is not really where our secret sauce, where our competitive edge is, right? And we need to start thinking about how we manage things in a more uniform way across the industry so we can all be better at what we do, all of that. Is that what you're, and you also mentioned one of the complexities that people sometimes don't understand or appreciate about this industry is it's not one company out there operating, doing something. It's always a collection of different companies that are all working together in some way, shape, or form, right? So are you finding that just the philosophy and the mentality is shifting in terms of? I don't think it's shifting. I think we're solving a different problem. So, I mean, I, I come from drilling, drilling equipment and National Oil and MH Worth. Right. And if I'm sharing data about top drive performance, then the oil company is definitely interested in it. The drilling contractor is extremely interested in it, and NOV is extremely interested in it. Right. They all want that data, right? and they all own that data. They all think they own the yeah, data. Yeah, sure. And that data can be used in nefarious ways, or it can be used It can be used in lots of different ways. Right. So you're giving the other people in the equation a large amount of leverage. What we're asking for is specific data. Is like, was water delivered? Yes or no? And how much water was delivered? You're not giving away any secrets about the production of the well, necessarily. You're not giving away proprietary secrets. You're asking for specific data to satisfy the terms of a specific piece of the contract. So I think that it's, you're asking for different data. You're not asking for, right. for all the data. So that it's can, not as controversial. It's not as controversial. Right, right, right. right. Gotcha. So, but I also agree there's, you know, collaboration is different because, although, I mean, people have been just collaborating on data standards and things like that. And I would say it's more in that bucket. It's sure data around a delivery is not around the performance of a machine or a well or a, something like that. Right. And it's in the interest of both of, sides, right. Of both sides to be able to be more efficient. And certainly the one, you know, ball that everybody has their eye on right now is how to pull going back to your LOE discussion or just how to, how to make things more efficient and pull costs out. I think there's, it's interesting that, you know, maybe the silver lining in the body blows that the industry has taken the last few years, even really going back to 2014, because I, I don't think we had really completely recovered from that, right? Or at least, you know, I think what happened then was, you know, there was this major downturn and everybody in the industry, I think they kind of pulled back on all of their 
fancy technology initiatives because they had traditional ways of surviving and getting through that, right? They could sort of pull all those levers that, you know, to tighten the belt and run a smarter operation and work harder with fewer people. And like, there were traditional ways, right? And that got them through to the point that say, okay, well, we can kind of survive now on $50 crude, but that wasn't really good enough because the investors were out there going, you know, what else you got? Because <laughs> you're not producing the returns yet. So they were already saying, we better start taking this digital transformation stuff seriously. And I mean, I, it was just a few years ago that I heard like more than one CIO or, or somebody in IT, you know, senior level say, yeah, digital transformation sounds like one of those tricks that vendors use to get me to spend more money, right? And now, just in the last couple of years, there's a difference and people are serious about it and they got roadmaps and they're working on them. And people are like coalescing around a set of objectives where everybody is trying to solve similar problems and do things in similar smart ways. So it's nice. So this is one of those things that's nicely positioned in between the various parties, right? So that it kind of does, it helps individual companies, but it really it's helping the industry as a whole be smarter and more efficient so that we can, you know, be, so the industry as a whole can be more successful, you know, with whatever's coming next. Yeah, I think you're exactly correct, right? I mean, it enables us to think differently about how we do business. So people say, going back to the IO thing, IOT question, right? So what happens if I don't have sensors in the field? Well, as I can tell you, you know, as part of the relationships we now have at Data Gumbo, there's several companies offering measurement as a service. So rather than you know, mm. somebody going in and having to get, get the CapEx to go and to buy the sensors, install the sensors, and then maintain the sensors in the field, you've got companies saying, we'll provide you measurement as a service, and you only pay for that service when it's actually working. So people are thinking differently and more about how to do business more efficiently. I, I think you're exactly correct. Right. So, there's a bunch of, as one of my colleagues says, there's a bunch of barnacles that we have within our, specifically our IT infrastructure, that is exists because of the systems that we've had in place for 20 or 30 years. Right. Just because you've got those barnacles doesn't mean you shouldn't scrape them off occasionally. Right. So to look, look at the other extreme, we've got companies coming to us saying, if I were to design an EMP company from scratch, what systems would I need? Interesting, yeah. And that, that makes you start thinking, oh my God, look, at, look what we can get rid of. Because you need an ERP to track the transactions. You need a, a smart contract platform to make the payments. Right. And that's it. Yeah. And what's all <laughs> the other stuff for? And so, I mean, I mean yeah. data warehouse to, you know, to, yeah. to give you yeah. some, right. uh, some dashboards. Sure. And you've got to have Excel somewhere. Yeah. But, right. but the rest of that infrastructure has been built up to fill in gaps and to to satisfy processes that you don't need anymore. Yeah, it's interesting. Some of the big consulting firms, Deloitte, and McKinsey, the, the management consulting, they've been saying the last couple of years, oil and gas needs, you know, digital transformation needs to produce new operating models. I keep using this word, you know, new operating models. And I think at first that sounded a little bit like the sorts of things that big consulting companies say, and nobody really knows what it means, right? But I think what you're describing, I think they're right. They're kind of looking down the road and saying, you can sort of like operate this whole business in a completely different way yeah. from how you've done it in the past. And I like to tell a, a silly story, but is that also a true story? I guess I'm old because I remember my dad used to have an account with a gas station 
growing up in England petrol station. Sure, yeah. An account with a milkman, an account with a butcher, an account yeah, with yeah. The, the local gro- grocery store. Right. And it wasn't on a card. It was just, no, just him, right? It was just yeah, him, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the garage guy would have a, a ledger of, you know, what, everything my mother or my dad had, had bought. Uh-huh. You know, changed oil and the petrol and all this yeah, other yeah. stuff. And at the end of the month, he'd send a bill. Yeah. And my dad would or would not pay the bill or he'd dispute it or he'd argue with it about it. But And when the, the guy who ran the gas station decided to cut him off, he'd pay it. <laughs> so, I mean, that's how it used to be. That's how I grew up. And now you go to a gas station, you swipe your credit card, you pump your gas and you leave. Right. What I just described, that transformation is what's happening now within the oil and gas space. We today in 2020 operate our gas businesses, our EMP companies, and uh, service companies and drilling contractors, like my dad. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Had had an account, you know, from when I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. But what we, Data Gumbo, is doing is saying, make make a measurement, make a payment, and you're done. It doesn't need to be any more complicated than that. That's really that's a great analogy. That's actually a great time to or way to wrap up because the little red numbers are telling me that we're out of time. So this is a great topic, though. It'd be interesting maybe to come back. You know, sometime, you know, maybe in a few months or early next year and see, because you're kind of at the early stages of this particular type of transformation in the industry, right? So it'd be interesting to see, to kind of follow the progress and see as more companies embrace this, you know, what kind of effect is it having? Yeah, it's pretty stunning. We've got companies who are saying, okay, I'm using this to measure X. I'm now going to put 60% of my OPEX through this because I can see the cost savings that are associated with that. So people are not just thinking about playing with us, they're, they're betting their companies on it. So it's gonna fundamentally change yeah, our businesses. The stakes though. are high, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay, excellent. Well, thank you, Andrew. Really appreciate you spending time today. Maybe we can come back together again before too long and see Anytime. how things are going. There's a few things I wanna mention really quickly. Oh, I did, I almost forgot. If anybody wants to find out more about you or about the company or about things, you know, consortiums and things like that, where do they look? Go to datagumbo.com is our webpage. Find out a lot about the consortium there, about Datagumbo. You can look me up on LinkedIn. I'm ATJ Bruce, A-T-J Bruce on LinkedIn. You can email me at andrew at datagumbo.com. Perfect. Also, I forgot to, I meant to congratulate you on your latest round of funding, which I think was Series B, right? And I think it's telling that the people that are investing in your company are operators, right? Or that's coming from the industry itself, if I remember from the press release. Yeah, I think it's telling that they're operators, Equinor and Saudi Aramco. So thank you to you both. <laughs> I think what's even more telling is that they reinvested. So it wasn't the first investment. It wasn't the first one, right. Yeah. So clearly they believe in what we're doing because they've, been, they've invested multiple times. And then L37 are new investors from California and Houston. So we're getting some California money involved as well, which is so having existing investors keep on investing and attracting new investors is, I think, kind of the hallmark of a, of a healthy, healthy company. So. Yeah, it's fantastic. And you're getting buy-in from the industry side who says you're creating value and you're getting buy-in from the tech world that says you have some good stuff, some right. good technology. Right. Right? That's fantastic. Excellent. Thank you. I want to mention our sponsor for the Oil and Gas Technology Podcast. It's a new sponsor, relatively new. I think this is the third time I've said new sponsor. So I don't know how long it's new, but... How long is a new employee the, Yeah, employee? right. Like when the radio stations would say, welcome to the new 93.7, and it's been two years. <laughs> our new sponsor is Cognite, and they are doing some amazing things with industrial data. 
to make it more contextual, intuitive, and usable, both by applications and humans. So if you're curious about that at all, check them out. Also, we're still doing the product reviews, which is where if you have any sort of technology product that you want us to review, it has to be something that can like basically fit through the door. So no, no heavy iron or no drill bits or anything like that. But if it's something that we can test and try out, we will we'll review it and we'll talk about it during the show. Also, I need to mention our street team. The OGGN street team is a great way to get involved. They are out there, even though maybe everybody's not on the physical street right now. They're on the virtual street and they are doing some great things. It's being led by one of our hosts, Warren, now, and he's got a lot of people motivated. So it's a great way to get involved if you want to do something for the industry. And there's they've got a Facebook group and some other things that will be in the show notes. All of this stuff that I just said, Andrew's website, contact info, stuff about the street team, it'll all be in the show notes. So if you're furiously trying to write down what I just said, you don't have to keep doing that. That's it. We're going to wrap up for today. Appreciate everybody listening. And we are making sure that you don't get left behind one episode at a time. And now here are the events on deck. Hey, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the events on deck for October 2020. The first five events I'm going to list off are all online. So to start off the month, we've got the Women Offshore Conference, which is an online interactive event on October 2nd and October 9th. Second, we've got SparkCon, which stars our very own Mark LaCour as keynote speaker. And that one starts on October 5th and goes through the 9th. Third, we have the Oilcom Conference and Exposition from October 13th through the 15th. Fourth, we have the Ignite Talks with Cognite from October 27th through the 29th. And to close off the online events, we have the SPE Annual Technical Conference and Exhibition, or ATCE, on the same dates as the Ignite Talks, which is October 27th through the 29th. Next, these two events for October are in person. First, we have the Energy API Golf Tournament on October 12th at the Kingwood Country Club. And next, we have the Energy API 30th Annual Sporting Clays Tournament on October 30th at the American Shooting Center. Lastly, and most importantly, we have our OGGN live streams. This month, we have three going out, so make sure to tune into those. First, we have Maintaining Critical Infrastructure During Lockdown on October 1st. Next, we have Material Reductions in Downtime that flow to the bottom line on October 15th. And last, we have Strategic Opportunities to Right-Sizing GNA and Achieving Free Cash Flow on October 29th. Now, these dates for the live stream shouldn't be changing, but they may, so make sure to keep up to date on these events by checking out the OGG on Facebook, LinkedIn, or website for more info. That should be all for October, so I hope you guys have a great month, and thank you for tuning in. Check us out next week for another entertaining and yet useful episode of Oil & Gas Tech Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com. (laughs) 